Welcome to Vision is More Than 2020, a podcast aimed at talking about your vision, your eyes, and how they play a role in overall visual and systemic function. Dr. Zolnicki and Lakowski, with the help of various guests, will work to help you understand more about your visual system and all the pieces to the vision puzzle. Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of Vision is More Than 2020. Uh, today we are going to be joined by a very exciting guest who contributes to really almost every aspect of the optometry realm. Before we formally introduce our guest for this week, let's talk about our weekly insight, which is the Lovery Play Kits. These play kits are a subscription box created by child development experts to deliver age-appropriate play products to stimulate the child's growing mind. Each stage of development requires a different approach to play to best suit your baby's needs and their growing and expanding mind. And Lovery is here to provide all of those tools, taking the guesswork of how to play and interact with your baby to give them exactly what they need for each crucial stage. The way that the subscription box work is you get a box every two months starting from when they are born and it really targets each different month of of development and then you can continue the subscription into toddlerhood up until three years old the toddler boxes do come every three months versus every two and these play kits are amazing because they really do take the guesswork out of how to play with your kid i remember when i first had daisy and she was six months and she started to really want to interact with me and I remember googling how to play with my child so these subscription boxes really help to understand how to play with your child and what things you can do with them and branch off of just the exercises that they give you so check out the website lovery.com l-o-v-e-v-e-r-y.com to check out these subscriptions so today we are being joined by Dr. Mark Taub. He is an associate professor and director of visual therapy and rehabilitation services at the Southern College of Optometry. He teaches visual therapy and is the supervisor of the pediatric and vision therapy residency. He is a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry and the College of Optometrists and Vision Development. Dr. Taub has great recognition in the editorial fields and is the editor-in-chief of the scientific journal Optometry and Visual Performance and the publication Optometry Times. He is an active researcher, has written numerous scientific articles, and has given a wide variety of lectures at different professional meetings. He also is the principal editor and author of multiple chapters in the book Visual Diagnosis and Care of the Patient with Special Needs. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Taub. Thank you so much for joining Dr. Zelnicki and I today. We are so excited for our listeners to learn a little bit more about you. And you have a very unique beginning to the vision therapy world where you got to go through vision therapy as a kid. So talk a little bit about that experience of doing vision therapy yourself and then how it led you to your passion in the vision therapy world. Sure. And, and thank you for, for having me on today. Uh, and you know, so I, I was very much the the very stereotypical kind of behavior issue kind of kid. Uh, I couldn't sit in my seat for very long. I um, uh, I would often not not often, maybe sometimes, get in trouble. Uh, sent to the principal's office, uh, kind of situation. Um, uh, but the the teachers very early recognized that you know uh, it, it wasn't. Uh, that I was misbehaving because I, I didn't understand the material, it, that there was something going on visually. 
and and she was great in, in recognizing that. Uh, so they got me to uh, just a, a regular optometrist, and that optometrist uh, did exactly what I teach my students, which is to you know diagnose, and if you don't treat, make a referral. Uh, so he did a great job, and got me to uh, who happened to be one of the kind of the the giants in in uh, his, you know historically in vision therapy, Dr. Elliot Forrest, and I started doing vision therapy. You know, for me it was. Uh, uh, and certainly a challenge. I was being asked to do things, uh, you know, visually with, with my brain and my body that, that I had never done before. Uh, uh, unfortunately, Dr. Forrest uh, passed uh, while I was doing vision therapy, and I, I started working with another uh, doctor, Dr. Joel Wallstriker. Um, uh, and we, we essentially did vision therapy in his house. Uh, uh, he ha had his office attached to his house, and it was like, an archive of, of archaic things. Uh, he, uh, uh, his office, uh, uh, I remember uh, in his office, there was a sign uh, on his desk that said, you know, a neat desk is the sign of, uh, is a sign of insanity. Um, and I, I love that quote because I, 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 my desk looks pretty much the same as he, as his does. And he, you know, really did an amazing job of, of putting me together the way that I should have been the first time. Uh, visually. Um, so that just, you know, that always stuck with me uh, uh, in choosing a profession. And then once I, once I went into optometry, it was, it was essentially a no brainer, you know, look at what this did for me. I want to be able to do this for others. So it was, it was such an easy decision. Um, you know, what led me to, to academia uh, was I was working at an office that, that did vision therapy, and I really didn't think I had a, a good handle on what I was doing. Uh, so I went back and I wanted to do a residency. Uh, and while doing the residency, I, I, it kind of hit me, you know, what better way can I give back to uh, the doctors that helped me in the, on the optometric community, but to teach others to have the same love and passion that I have for this. Uh, and, that's, and that's been my goal for the last 17 or 18 years now. Old were you when you did vision therapy? I was in first grade. So you were really young. So you, would you say that if you had not had that intervention, that your academic career would have looked fairly different than it than it did? Oh, I can say without without hesitation that I would not be talking with you today, <laughs> um, if if I hadn't met Elliot Forrest and Joel Wallstriker and. You know, I, I really, I have to give a, a you know, a, a shout out to, to, to my mom who literally drove me from, and, and, and you, you'll understand, you're up in, in New York, drove me from the five towns to, to, to I think he was in Queens or to Brooklyn, uh, you know, once a week, you know, fighting traffic, uh, you know, to, to get me there. You know, that's, you know, she, she went above and beyond it and, and, you know, it's something that I would do for my kids and, and I think everybody should do for theirs. Right. I feel like uh, your story is unique in the sense that back then when you were a kid, uh, not that many people understood the link between vision and learning. And you got really lucky that your teacher picked that up 
And I think now at least the awareness is starting to garner and to catch fire that parents and teachers are starting to say, oh, maybe there's this link. If the kid isn't paying attention or isn't learning, maybe there's a visual connection. But there are so many kids that still get missed um, when it comes to understanding that link and understanding that there's so much more to vision than, than 2020. Over the course of your career, what was like your initial approach to vision therapy and how has it kind of evolved um, over the years? And what is your approach to vision therapy now and the, the patients that you, that you treat? So, you know, my approach, I graduated from Pennsylvania College of Optometry in 2001. And I, I graduated with a very eyeball-centered model of vision. Uh, how do you teach convergence? Well, you just, you, you give them a Brock string and you, you say converge, you know, poof. Abracadabra, converge. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, over, over, over time, you, you laugh, but you know, that, that's kind of what we were taught. You know, how do we, you know, put them on a vectorgram, you know, force the eyes to do it. But, you know, over time and really uh, working with patients over time, I, 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 I you know, realized that there, there had to be something more, that there was something missing. And I, I really, it, it, it clicked not necessarily after my first OEP course, because uh, I mean, I, you know, like, you know, you, you, you graduate and you, this is what you were taught. So this is the way it must be. But over time I took an OEP course and then a year or two later, it, 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 it finally started to click in what they were, what, what Bob Hoendorf was trying to tell me. Um, and I just needed to see more patients and see you know, hey, you know, there is something more to this. And, you know, over time, I've, I've developed more of a, uh, of a brain-centered approach to vision therapy. You know, the eyes, uh, I'm preaching to the choir here, the eyes are extensions of the brain. So why are we thinking that this is a brain, pro an eye problem? This is a brain problem. Um, and, and, it's, and it's also a development problem uh, for, for, for many kids as well. So, uh, I, I attack it from, instead of giving them the Brock string, I want to teach them what does it feel like to converge? What, is that, what does that sensation feel like? What does it feel like to, to work hard, to, to accommodate, to, to look soft, to, to take in more of the periphery? Asking them to do things and make those connections for themselves so that later on when you give them the Brock string and you say, okay, I want to make the bead one, they know how to do it already. Because then that transfers to, okay, I'm now in the classroom. I have to go from the, the board to my reading material. This is, this is when kids actually went to school and they weren't staring at their computers all day. That's a different story now. Um, so now it's intrinsic into what they need to do to have their, go back to my eyeball bottle, their plane of convergence and their plane of accommodation be at the same place. So that eyeball model is, is fits into my brain model, but it's just a small section. I think that's a really great thing for our listeners to know about vision therapy and about vision therapy doctors is that we really are constantly learning and it's not, you know, it's not just black and white. Every patient, I feel like I, it, makes me think 
okay, maybe I need to approach things a little differently. Every person and every brain is different, right? To go back to your brain model, every brain is different. And when your doctor says to you, okay, we're going to try X, Y, and Z, it's not because they don't know what they're doing, especially their vision therapy doctors, it's because they're trying to explore what the best approach to get the most results are from from the patient at at hand. Uh, And I think that's the beauty of vision therapy is that we can really change and and guide development in such an incredible way as long as we're open to all different approaches. I know that I've learned things from doing yoga and how I can implement that into vision therapy. And I've learned from chiropractic care, what, what things can kind of translate over into vision therapy and manipulation of the body and the awareness and things like that. So I think that's a really great lesson for our listeners that being open to learning will help your vision therapy practice tremendously. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I, I, I think we learn from, we learn from everybody. We, you know, I, I did an editorial for, for the journal several years ago of, you know, how my, how I learned from a patient, you know, the patient taught me lesson, a, a lesson. And I think my patients teach me, me lessons all the time. You know, we have, we have uh, uh, one of my current residents uh, and doctors have been working with a, a little two-year-old with, uh, with CVS, CVI patient. And, you know, over the last six months, the, 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 the gains that this kid has made when essentially was written off have just been, have been outstanding. And, you know, just to see the, the passion in this resident's face when he's, you know, he, he we, we keep, you know, keep coming up with different activities that, you know, we never, you know, he never expected this kid to be able to do. And he has to continuously think outside the box to keep challenging this kid. Um, it, it's just, it's really, it's really neat to see. Right, I think that's so unique to our field where, our learning process too is always ongoing and we can learn so much from our patients because we have to think outside the box, as you said, with so many of them. And we can't approach them in just a, a streamlined fashion for everybody. We have to really come up with a unique modified therapy plan for each patient. And with the advances of technology, it really gives us so many extra tools to also bring to our patients. You know, there's so many exciting new things coming out in vision therapy that really help us approach our patients in a new way and use technology um, to treat them as well. So what are your new favorite technological pieces of vision therapy that have come out recently that you like to use with your patients? So the, the one that I really love um, is uh, uh, something called the uh, reflection um, uh, made by, I don't I actually can't remember the name of the company, but if you, it's reflection, R-E-F, L-E-X-I-O-N. It is about a six, six and a half foot light board, six and a half by two. And it's unlike the, the Bonovi where the, you know, with the Bonovi, the uh, Wayne Sakata fixator, the lights are all in like a kind of a circular pattern. But here the lights, uh, it's an LED screen and the lights come on in different patterns. Uh, there are probably... 10 games uh, right now and you can set it up for for athletes you can change the the parameters on the size of the target and you just get so much information back um, it's it's by far probably the most popular activity that we have 
it, it's just and and the kids it, it's it allows us to uh, like the bonobi uh make things a competition but we had a patient the other day this is a, a typical 13 or 14 year old boy who you know oh, grumpy 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 and we essentially just made him compete with the with the ther- with the therapist with the student and all of a sudden there was a competition and bang, he was, he was back in the game again. So we were able to complete the therapy. The other one, um, for me, I, I'll be honest, I have a hard time incorporating new technology into my therapy plan. I'm, I'm very, I guess I'm old school. Uh, you know, give me some lenses, give me a Brock stream, give me vectorgrams. I, I love it. Um, uh, so sometimes it's harder for me to incorporate some of the newer technology uh, until I can play with it and I can see uh, how I can fit it into my program. Uh, and the one I'm, I'm playing with now more recently is uh, is the Vivid Vision. Playing with some of those games, I'll be honest, I don't love all of them, uh, but there are certain ones that I do like, and I'm playing with them to see how I can... Uh, we've got another kid who's a, who's an isotrope, and uh, 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 they've been playing with, with using the synoptophore and, and just trying to get him to fuse, and lo and behold, you put him in the, the Vivid Vision, you throw in some prism, and he's he's doing the activities. So... Uh, I can definitely see uh, certain opportunities to to use that. Uh, that being said, you know, I, I again, I, I love some of the old school stuff. You know, I did vision therapy on, a, on something called the prism with the, with something called the prism reader. In theory, if I didn't do vision therapy, I would never have seen it. It is an old school film, uh, projector, uh, um, movie kind of projector ish kind of thing, and it's like the moving window. Each time it advances, it's another line in the story. You can change the words per minute. You can add prism. Uh, it's really, really, really cool. Uh, so sometimes when the other stuff isn't working, I'll, I'll fall back to that just for, for variety. Yeah, I always say that I can fix anybody with a Brock string and a heart chart. <laughs> that I have all this big fancy equipment, but I love a Brock string. I love a heart chart. I, I feel like sometimes the simplest activities really have the biggest bang for the buck because it really gets the patient aware of what they're doing and how that feels. And it's easy to get bogged down with all this fancy, fancy equipment. But if you get to the root of those feelings and getting the patient to understand their eyes with the simple tasks, then you can supplement with the the big fancy activities. Now that you're in school, so you are contributing to uh, the next generations of vision therapy doctors. So what sort of things are being taught in school, right? You said when you were in school, you were basically taught like the mechanical version of vision therapy, right? Convert your eyes to converge. This is what you do. What is, what is your approach in academia and what, what things are being taught there to really kind of encourage this different kind of bigger picture idea in vision therapy? You know, it's, it's, every school has a different model, as you know. So, you know, I can, I can speak to, to what my students are taught in general, you know, what I love about my school, Southern College of Optometry uh, and and the vision therapy program we have is that we have doctors who do practice more of an eyeball centered model. And we have doctors who practice very much a a brain centered model Uh, and uh, neither one uh, is the is the correct approach? I, I think one is the correct approach, but I, I respect others' opinions uh, and and how they do vision therapy. So you know when I'm teaching students and um, other doctors teach as well, I'm very cautious and careful to say 
you know, this is why I follow this model. I think as long as you explain what you're doing and why you're doing it, uh, that's, that's part of the teaching process. And, and, and you, you remember, you know, from, from residency, have to, you have to show respect for, for all of the different models. And I will say that most of the colleges of optometry are teaching more of the eyeball-centered model. So, you know, what I'm doing uh, personally, uh, as you know, uh, Michael Lynn, you, uh, OEP is doing uh, Wednesday night lectures uh, and courses. Uh, um, and so uh, students and residents can take all of those free of charge. So, you know, all you have to do is, is, is email me and get connected with that. So even if we can uh, plant some seeds for, for, for later and, and just get people thinking, I, I think that's, that's kind of crucial. You know, I'm, I'm not naive. I, I know that uh, in, at a, a class of 135, 135 are not going to do vision therapy. But if my goal is to teach uh, respect for what we're doing and understanding of what we're doing and make the diagnosis and refer just like the doctor did for me. You know, I'm not going to say how many years ago, but when I was in, in first grade. I think that's really good insight to garner to these new doctors that are in optometry school and going to be entering the field because not everyone has to specialize in vision therapy. It may not be your passion, but to at least learn the basics and the background so that you can diagnose and know when to properly refer. And I, I think that's a really big point to bring to our optometric community that, you know, we are bringing a lot of vision therapy awareness out to our listeners, um, but not everyone has to do vision therapy. Just know that we're here and there's things that we can do to help the, our patients and community. I mean, I personally, I am not a contact lens person. I don't do keratoconic contact fits, but how is it any different if I were to diagnose keratoconus and just say, oh, well, you have keratoconus, sucks for you, and I don't <laughs> refer them to someone who will do the fit to treat the condition. It, it's no different than if, if somebody else diagnoses a CI and says, yeah, here's some pencil push-ups. Yeah, they're not really going to help, but uh, you could try them. It's so true. Uh, and when you, when you say that, every optometrist would be like, well, of course we would send the contact lens, the keratoconic patient to the, the contact lens guru. I know I've done some moonlighting in uh, some more optical-based practices, and I'll be there for one day, and I see five patients that I'm like, you need vision therapy. And it, in my head, I'm saying to myself, "How I'm here one day. How are, is the doctor that's here five days a week 52 weeks a year, not identifying these, these cases. So I think that's a really great message to the young doctors in school and those that are listening is just be able to identify and know when and how to refer uh, because it, that's what really makes a great doctor. Not that you know how to treat everything, and, but you know when to send out. And what is that saying? jack of all trades, but master of none, right? And we're, the, the doctors that have dedicated their life to vision therapy really aim to be the, a master of understanding vision and understanding 
the, the person as a whole. And I think that's what really separates vision therapy docs from other specialties within optometry is that we're really trying to go back to the basis of vision and basis of how our visual system works to get our patients to perform at their peak level. And that's really the, the goal for, for us. No, I, I, and I agree. And you know, there are great ways to, to find doctors in your area. You know, not everybody uh, um, has access, ready access, ready access to uh, great vision therapy doctors. The, the patients may have to drive two hours. I, we have patients who drive up from uh, two hours up from Mississippi every week to come for vision therapy. Like if you offer the treatment, the patients will come. But if, if uh, you need to make referrals, three organizations come to mind immediately. Uh, one being OEP, the second one being COVD, and the third being Nora. All of them have doctor locator options on their web pages. Find somebody. It's really, it's not that hard. I agree. You touched on something that really important is that if you are in an area that a vision therapy doctor isn't close, it is worth your time and effort to get your child or yourself there. Especially now with all of the technological advances, I know a lot of practices are able to do some sort of virtual vision therapy. And with that, we're able, our reach is so much greater than ever before. So going to that, driving that two hours for the initial appointment, just to understand what's going on and then checking in and doing virtual sessions is better than not seeing any doctor at all. And, this, and the same thing could be said about um, using computer-based programming uh, with programs like the HTS, with Vision Builder, with uh, even RightEye has a home program uh, as well. Using those and is, is certainly better than doing nothing. Because as we all know, if you, if you sit and you put your head in the sand, the problem's not going to go away. The, the exotropia is not going to magically, you know, poof, abracadabra, uh, you know, disappear the next year. It's still going to be there. Very, very true. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Tab, and sharing so much insight into your approach to vision therapy, how it became such a passion of yours, and thank you for how much you really contribute to our vision therapy community. Between all of your research, your, your writing, your teaching, and your practicing, tell our listeners where they can find and follow you. I'm the editor of, of Optometry and Visual Performance, which is the, the OEP journal. Uh, that's an open access journal. The next issue, uh, I'm actually going to, uh, after this, go finish up the next issue. So that should be out in the next few days. And that can be found at ovpjournal.org. And uh, I write a column every other month with uh, Dr. Paul Harrison, Review of Optometry, on uh, interesting, I think it's called Focus on Refraction kind of getting back to some of those basics of refraction that uh, uh, we might have forgotten. And yeah, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to take anything uh, at, at my email address is mtaub at seo.edu. And that, that's pretty much it. I, I... <laughs> and they can always make an appointment with you at the school, I suppose, right? At Southern College of Optometry in Memphis. Yes. All right. Wonderful. Thank Absolutely. you so much, Dr. Tao. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for listening. Follow us at Twin Forks Optometry on Facebook and Instagram. Join our private Facebook group, Vision is More Than 2020. Subscribe, download, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Tune in next week to learn more about your vision.